If you brought a Bible with you, turn with me to uh, Psalm 44. We're going to go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 44. You know, uh, Sarah and I, we moved here about five months ago as the flowers were just blooming and now as the leaves are beginning to fall. Last Sunday, I said, boy, this is southern Indiana, so beautiful, let's go for a drive. So just before sunset, we hopped in the car and just took a drive. We went up through the Hoosier National Forest, found ourselves up by the lake and drove around. We were in the car together for about an hour and a half, and um, I noticed at one point later on in the drive that we'd spent a significant amount of time just kind of looking and in awe and, you know, in our own thoughts, but there was silence in that car. And I remembered one of our very first dates. Uh, we were in college, and I took Sarah when we were dating, and I, we drove a little over an hour back to, to see my parents. And um, I remember that trip so clearly because every little moment of silence, I was thinking to myself so anxiously, think of something to say, think of something to say. There can't be any silence, you know. After 26 years of marriage, um, I think Sarah and I have become pretty comfortable in the ways that we communicate, um, but we're still learning how to communicate with one another, right? Um, after about 25 years of marriage, about a year ago, um, Sarah and I had this kind of hard conversation. I brought something up. For the first 24 years of our marriage, Sarah had a way of, uh, when she had a need, wanted me to do something for her. Sarah's so independent, but, you know, in marriage, we ask each other, you know, we have responsibilities. And so, uh, let's just say I came home from work, and she's busy, been working to make a great meal, and uh, realizes we're out of eggs or milk, you know, and she might say, I'm just getting home. You know, hey, would you turn around and go put your shoes and coat back on and go get us some milk? Or, you know, it's late at night, we're snuggled in bed under the covers, and it's cold, and she asks, would I get out and go turn up the heat? But the way she would ask is she would say, hey, would you want to climb out of bed and, or, you know, hey, would you want to go put your shoes and coat back on and go get some milk? Would you want to? And for the first 24, 25 years of our marriage, I love my wife. I want to serve my wife. So I would say, yes, of course. And I'd be going, I'd put my coat on and you know I'm going, I don't want to. I don't want to. And so finally, about a year ago, she asked me if I would want to do something. And I finally just said, nope. I, I don't want to, you know, but I will. And so she's also learned, you know, she'll say, hey, would you want, I mean, will you? So we're still learning how to communicate. Hey, this morning, um, we're, we're going to begin a four-week um, examination of the Psalms, learning to communicate with God through prayer. And, and the, the Psalms were kind of the, the church's um, prayer book. Uh, they would oftentimes sing the Psalms. They were written long, long ago, but, but these became the prayers of the church down through the centuries. And, and so examining the Psalms, that some were written in for all different kinds of circumstances and occasions... But, but the focus really is not just on, you know, exactly when this was written, for what occasion, but the, the, the real concern is what is the purpose? Why would we pray this particular song? Why would we pray this way? 
And the, the fullness of, the, of the, all of the psalms, they help the church to know how, how do I faithfully pray in the midst of whatever circumstance uh, I may be walking through. And, and so uh, in a few weeks, we're going to look at a, a psalm of thanksgiving. Um, we're, we're going to look at a, a psalm of confession. Um, by the way, our, our series is just titled Honest to God. Coming before God and being, being honest with Him. Um, this morning, I, I want us to look at a psalm of lament. Uh, the psalmist is grieving. He's overwhelmed. Come to me, all you who are overwhelmed. Uh, heavy burden. I will give you rest. You know, some have said uh, about prayer, look, it, it really doesn't matter what you say. You know, just, just tell God whatever's on, you know, whatever you're thinking. And, and I know when, when my boys were small and wanting to teach them to pray, I, I would just say the exact same thing. You know, it, it, there's no formula to prayer. It's, it's not like we have to recite these words exactly or we have to say things in a certain way for our Father in heaven to hear and respond to us. Every good parent knows that to be true. But there is a a wrong way and a faithful way to pray. When, When the disciples said to Jesus, we see how you, oftentimes you'll slip away and you'll go to a solitary place and, and you'll talk with your father. And, and I know that there's times when the father may say, hey, Jesus, would you want to? And, and you would even, you know, I don't want to, but thy will be done, you know? There, there, there's this communication. There's this, this intimate relationship that you have. And so when you go away, when you pray, would you teach us how to do that? How do you pray? And Jesus could have said, oh, it doesn't matter, just say whatever. But he, he taught them that there is a faithful way to pray. When you pray, Jesus said, pray our Father. In other words, remember that you're part of something bigger here. The family of God is it's international. It's all over the world. And, and so you're not in this alone. And he is your Father, Abba. Your daddy. He is your daddy. And and when you pray, pray your kingdom come. In in other words, invite him to be king, to to lead you, to provide for you as a a good king and father does. And so there is a faithful way to pray. And and so for those of us especially that maybe we're new believers or, or maybe we're old believers, but we need some refreshment. We need some renewal. I will tell you that comes only from the Lord, real refreshment and joy. And so thinking about how do we pray, how do we come before the Father, um, it's good for us to examine the Psalms. Psalm 44 is uh, it's a psalm of lament. And so if you're able this morning, I'd like to read the entire psalm for us. If you're able to stand in honor of God's word, I'd ask you to do that now. 
We've heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days and days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It wasn't by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword doesn't bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. But now you've rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our enemies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. God, you've made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations, and the people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We'd not been false to your covenant. Our hearts hadn't turned back. Our feet hadn't strayed from your path. But you crushed us. And made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. Do you hear the kind of burial language there? If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And now catch this. Who, who would dare to talk this honest to God? Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We're brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us. Because of your unfailing love. Would you pray with me, Father? We ask that you would give us hearts and minds that are open to the truth, open to the good news in a bad news world of the gospel of Jesus. We pray this in his wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, these opening three verses, they kind of lay the groundwork for the cry for help that comes at the end of the psalm. You know, it's in times of drought that it's really good to remember the times of refreshment, you know, when the Lord brought the rain in those days. Um, Those of you who know, I am a huge Indiana Hoosiers basketball fan. And we have been in the midst of a drought for a long, long time. 
If you've ever been to Assembly Hall, you, you see the, the, the banners, the championship banners that hang. And, and, and even um, there's even a, a video that comes on just before the game, and, and it shows highlights from past games. I like to go to YouTube. This is one of my secret pleasures. But I've probably gone and, and I've typed in Watford for the win on YouTube. And I will watch the final uh, closing seconds of that game when Indiana crushed the, the number one seeded Kentucky at the last minute. And I will get all excited again because I remembered in the past, we've done it. God, you've hung a banner. You know, we can do it again. Sometimes in the midst of the drought, it is good to remember, to look back It's the reason why when we had our milestone service, I said, take this rock home. May may you be reminded, put it in a place where you can recount. God has shown up. God has been so faithful to me in the past. And therefore, whatever comes my way, uh, I know that God will be faithful. And as we look at these opening verses, he he recounts, he says, it it was God. it, It wasn't us. It wasn't Moses' careful leadership that that brought our ancestors out from under the grip of of Pharaoh in Egypt. It it was God who broke their chains. It was God who parted the seas. It was his mighty right hand. Look at verse 3. It was not by their sword that they won the battle, nor did their arm bring victory. It was your right hand, your arm, in the light of your face, for you loved them. The Israelites had this annual celebration. They were called to remember, to recount God's faithfulness in the past through the Passover. Remembering that the blood of the lamb on the doorpost brought salvation. Church, it is good for you to mark those moments in your life where so clearly God showed up so that in the midst of the drought, you can say, I, I trust, Lord, that you're going to do it again. It may not be right here and right now. I may be walking through darkness and I can't even see the next step. But I know that you have been faithful to carry me in the dark places before and you will do it again. Whatever you're facing today, know that you're not alone. I mentioned a few weeks ago that all Saints Day, All Hallowed Day comes right after All Hallows Eve, right? All Saints Day is the church's celebration, remembering there are those who have come before us. There are those in your life, perhaps, who have walked faithfully with the Lord that we can look back upon their lives and see, God, you have been so good to raise what was dead. And and God wants to do it again. And again, and again. Look at verses 4 through 8. There's this shift that happens from past tense. God, we remember what you did back then to now the present tense. The psalmist says, you are my king. Right now in this moment, as he's getting ready to go, where the heck are you? You're asleep on the job, God, and yet here he is saying, you're my king. Some of you, as we were just praying through song, 
You are my king, amazing love, how can it be? You may not be feeling the warm fuzzies right now, but to, to praise God and, and declare, you are my king, even when you're not feeling it. It is right and it is good to do. You are my king and my God. It's through you that we push back our enemies. It's not through my wisdom and craftiness and knowing exactly how to navigate through a place that I've never been before. But you give us victory over the enemy. So in God, we'll make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. When I was studying this this week, uh, I I remembered a a friend of ours uh, named Karen. Uh, Karen and Mark served in a, a church where we had pastored before, and, and the Lord very clearly called uh, Mark and Karen to uh, adopt a sweet young gal. Um, she looked just like her, uh, her mama, her adopted mama, but, um, but um, she was a sweetheart of a little girl who had a very traumatized uh, first few years of life. And so when Mark and Karen took her in, they had no idea what the years ahead would bring for them. And there were just so many times and so many seasons uh, when they would just struggle and the the shouts and the yelling back and forth, especially between mom and and, uh, her little girl. Uh, It was just, it was so traumatizing even for, uh, for Karen and then you got to the adolescent years, and, and there was attempted suicides, and, and there was all kinds of shouting and um, drug addiction and, and running away and, and all that kind of stuff. But Karen, I remember so clearly coming into the sanctuary during that season and, and, and just sitting on the back row. And Karen was normally on, you know, she was one of those front row, you know, hands up kind of worshipers. And she would just sit in the back row. And friends who, who knew their story would come back and would just pray for her and sit with her. But I, I remember um, talking with Karen and, and her telling me, he's my king, and I'm going through a really, really hard place. And I want to praise his name, to boast on him all day long. But I can't even stand to my feet and sing right now. I've got no words. And so when I come into this place, even though sometimes I don't feel like I want to be here, I know that I have a church family that helps me to articulate the prayers to my Father and my God. And so even when I can't stand even when I can't raise my hands and praise and boast in him myself, I know I need to, and it's good for me. And so I have brothers and sisters around me who help raise my arms up and praise him. Friends, in your darkest storms, it is good to confess you are my king. When we're not feeling it, to declare the truth, God, I will boast on your name. I will praise your name forever when we need the help of brothers and sisters in faith to articulate those prayers for us. We lean on them. We remember and recount God's almighty power and faithfulness 
both back then, but when we need to trust him, when we can't see it in this moment, we do so. And, and so he, he, he expresses this, you are my king right here and now. And, and then at the end of verse 8, there is this word. If, you're, if you have your Bibles open, it's, it's not on the screen there, but right at the last, uh, after verse 8, where it says, in God we make our boast all day long and we'll praise your name forever. There's kind of a little word that's written there. Anybody else have that? Selah, S-E-L-A-H. It's actually a, a Hebrew word. And, and, and you might kind of receive that like a, a choir director with a sheet of music making a, a, a note there. It's here in, in, after verse 8. After boasting in the Lord and praising his name forever, that we pause. That, that word, it actually means forever. We're to pause. In other words, we praise your name forever. This is the the last line of the story of God. We're not there to the end yet, but but this is the forever. And so let's let's pause right here. Let's, Let's hang out in remembering that he is the one who was from the beginning, but in the end, there is resurrection. There is life, even though we may feel as though we're down below the dust, down in the ground right now in these moments. And so we pause. And then if we look at verses 9 through 16, I love the honesty of the Scriptures. That we can be honest before God. These words are inspired by the, the Spirit of God. We're told that the Bible, the scriptures, that they're inspired by God, that they're living and that they're active, not just written long ago, but for us today. And so for a psalmist who is very angry in his heart, who isn't sure about his feelings and trying to wade through the feelings of what is true and what is just circumstance, I love that those who were kind of looking through the scriptures and, and forming them for us together many, many years ago, that when they formed the canon, they, they didn't say, well, we don't want anybody to get the wrong impression. You know, we, we want everybody to, to think that when you follow Jesus, it is just rainbows and butterflies all the time. And that's just not the truth. We know that's to be true. But if you look at verses 9 through 16, here's a, a couple of the verses, 9, 11, and 15. He goes from, I'll boast in you and praise your name forever, to, but now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with us to, to face the enemy. You call us to stand firm and, and to overcome and not fall into temptation, but God, you're, you're seemingly you're not with us. You gave, up, gave us up to be devoured like sheep and scattered us among the nations. My disgrace is before me all the day long. This is Psalm 44. You know, we, we love the 23rd Psalm. Kind of like the, the image behind me, the, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I have no need because you are with me. You lead me. You, you guide me. You protect me. You carry me. And here he is 
saying very honestly, man, I, I feel like a sheep that's been forgotten and about to be devoured. And so really what the question is, is not just his circumstances, but the very character of the shepherd. What kind of shepherd are you? How could you let me uh, stay in this circumstance? We have a um, friend named Lisa, uh, one of the uh, communities where we lived long ago. She was a teacher at an elementary school and a wonderful Christian. She and her husband had several little boys, and um, Lisa loved the Lord. She served the Lord. She was a light in that school uh, to her students and parents. Anyway, it was right around Christmas time, and um, Lisa's father-in-law who loved to fish, asked, if, um, if, asked Lisa if he could take the, his grandbabies and go uh, fishing. The, the, the river or the lake hadn't quite frozen over yet, but it was freezing cold. Um, the boys at the time were about like this and this. And, um, and he asked Lisa, hey, can I take my grandbabies and go fishing? And um, Lisa was not into fishing. Uh, she wasn't excited about, you know, in the middle of winter, the boys being outside in the first place, let alone uh, on the water. And so um, even though she kind of resisted at first, she said, okay, if you promise that my boys will stay bundled up and keep a life jacket on. Several hours later, she got a phone call. They found the, the youngest floating alone down the, the waterways. And, and what they discovered was that the older boy had fallen in, and Grandpa jumped in to save him, and, and both drowned. And so there's Lisa, her youngest, her husband, at the funeral. And she is overwhelmed by the loss of her son, and her father-in-law, and yet in the midst of grief, there is this honest-to-God intense anger at what her father-in-law had done. And how do you grieve and say, I miss you, and at the same time, to be honest, I just can't stand you and what you've done. God, I thought you loved us. You, you could save us. You could save my loved one. Why? Why? I'm so grateful that, that God didn't kind of whitewash the scriptures, but there are those that we can identify with who have who've walked in our shoes, who, who know the road of suffering. Stories of, of those like Joseph and, and Job, even Esther in the inner turmoil that she experienced going before the king. We go through intense and hard, difficult days. Daniel, you come to Jesus and you look at the suffering, and it wasn't his fault. And then this God turns and says to us, if you love me, you will obey me. Come, take up your cross and die. It is in death that you find life. 
the psalmist is, is looking in the mirror in the midst of suffering and, and what feels like death. And he's very honest before God and says, I, I'm disgraced. I'm disgraced. I'm ashamed by the position that I'm in. I, I can hear him saying, crying out to God, God, I brag to you or I brag on you to my friends. I want them to see Christ in me. And so why would you allow me to go through this? And I'll tell you what's on trial here. What's really on trial is, is God and, and his, his character, his sovereignty, and his love. And, and these are the questions that our, our world is asking about God. His, his sovereignty and his love in the midst of a world that is broken and hurting. Because if God is all-powerful, if he can just snap his fingers and do something about our suffering, sometimes he does, but, but sometimes he doesn't. And, and so if God is all-loving, he's obviously not all-sovereign and all-powerful. Or, or maybe he's all-powerful, but he just doesn't care. He just doesn't really love us enough to do something about our situation. And so the psalmist, in some way, is putting God on trial and saying, I need you to prove yourself. I know that you've done it in the past. I know that you are the King, the Lord, my God. But I need you to prove yourself to me. In the midst of being buried overcome by the, the weight of what's going on in my life. I need you to raise me up and do it again, God. Verse 17. The psalmist says, all this has happened to us. And remember, these kinds of prayers were communal prayers. All this has happened to us, though we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. You know, Lisa didn't ask for that. She loved her boys. She was faithful to share Jesus with her boys. She had been faithful. She didn't ask for this. Sometimes things happen in our lives that are the consequences very clearly of our actions or the sinful actions of others. But there are times in our lives when to no fault of our own, we just walk through this broken world and the broken pieces just fall upon us. All this happened, though we'd not been false to your covenant and we hadn't forgotten you. Have, have you forgotten us? And, and then look at verse 22. The psalmist says, For your sake. God, for your name. It is for your glory that we face death all day long. It is for your glory that here we are in the midst of brokenness. It is for your glory that in the midst of all of the cracks, in our lives, that may your glory shine through us in our weakness. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep 
to be slaughtered. I'll tell you what, those Israelites that cried out this prayer long ago in difficult days and identified with the psalmist in praying, we are as sheep to be slaughtered, they would get the mental picture right away. This was an image from the temple, an image of worship, as literally the sheep would be brought in to the priest to be butchered, to be slaughtered, the blood poured out as those broken bodies, those lambs were laid upon the altar in the midst of sin and the consequences of death. There needed to be a life that was given in order for there to be atonement. A sheep needs to be slaughtered. John, the baptizer, would come years later and say, Look, the Lamb of God who is to be slaughtered for the forgiveness of our sins. We live in a broken world, and it's, sometimes it's our, the consequences of our sin, our poor judgment. Sometimes it's the consequences of others who are doing stupid stuff. Sometimes it's just a reality of a broken world that we live in. But in our brokenness, we identify with our Savior, the one who suffered in love, the one who said, not my will, but your will be done, so I will trust you, Father, even as I walk to a cross. Trusted that somehow, God, you, somehow you got to do something. It's Friday, and I just hope I can see Sunday. And so it's in this trusting confidence of resurrection life, not just someday, you know, tickets uh, punched for heaven, but God, can you resurrect me in this moment? In my grief, can you bring joy? In my despair, God, somehow would you instill hope again? In my blindness, would you give me eyes to see Maybe not with a crystal ball the future, but to see who you are and to remember that you are loving and sovereign and you are my Father and you are working on my behalf. And so it's in the midst of that confidence that we can be this honest to God. Look at these final verses. He says, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Wake up. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We're brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Do you sense that burial analogy? Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. In the midst of my surrendering all, somehow resurrection life is coming to me. And so here he is identifying in death our bodies cling to the ground, so rise up and help us. Redeem us, not because we're worthy, not because now I've got my act together, but because of your unfailing love. One final word here before we wrap up. You know, if you go from the Psalms into the New Testament, to Jesus' arrival on the scene, look, the Lamb of God who will be sacrificed for our sin. 
If you go all the way to the end of the Bible, the very last book, the Revelation, the end is revealed. We still have these moments from this moment until the end, but the end is revealed for us. And John, who writes the Revelation, he just writes down what the the vision the Lord is giving to him, but as he writes, this is what he says. He says, then... I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain. In other words, his scars were were still there. It was just scars, though. There he was standing in the center of the throne, and he came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. What what is this scroll that the lamb took? You know, I, I... the, the, the revelation that the story talks about no one being worthy to open the scroll. There was this anxiety of who will open the scroll. And, and I really believe it was the, the story. The story, the history of, of life itself. Who can make sense of this? Who can redeem this? Who, is, who can tell us the truth? In the midst of so much uncertainty, does anybody have control over this? Or are we just kind of ants on a log floating down a river? Who? Who oversees this life of mine? Is, is there anybody who's, who's driving the ship here? Who will open the scroll? And, and then we see that there was one who was worthy. There has one who has overcome whatever circumstance that you may be walking through right now, cling to Jesus. Friends, maybe your prayer life is a little on the anemic side. What if this month, as we just give focus to the prayers of the church, that the Lord might teach you how to come to your knees, how to lament and be honest to God, how to confess how to be transformed and live a life of praise and thanksgiving. And so I would encourage you in these days to allow the Lord to teach you how to pray again.